Amen. Again, glad that you're here today. Uh, the folks here, if you'll come back next week, you'll bring somebody with you. We'll see, we'll see God bless and continue to grow our men's lunch. Today, uh, we're going we're gonna to take some time off. We've been going verse by verse through First Peter. We're in the fourth chapter there. We're going to take some time off from that. We're going to come back to that study. But for uh, today and the next five weeks, for six weeks total, uh, we're going to look at being a man after God's own heart. So this week and the next five weeks following, we're going to look at being a man after God's own heart. In the Old Testament book of 1 Samuel, chapter 13, verse 14, uh, and then again in the New Testament, uh, in the book of Acts, chapter 13, verse 22, God calls David, King David, he calls him a man after my own heart. Now, can you imagine that for just a second? God says of this man, and he's just a man, God says of this man that he has a heart after mine. He is a man after my own heart. Now, when I hear that, that is an astounding thing that the creator, magnificent God of the universe would say, this is a man who has my heart, after my own heart. Well, the first thing that pops in my mind is what does that mean? What does it mean for that to be said of, of King David? Uh, didn't David commit adultery? The Bible tells us he did. Didn't he lie? He was a liar. Didn't he murder a man? Had a man maliciously killed? Didn't he make some huge mistakes over the course of his life? Well, how can this title ever be given to such a man and not given by people? People didn't say, hey, he's our favorite king. This is a man after God's own heart. But for God himself, the holy living God to say, here's a man. I looked for him and I found a man after my own heart. What does that really even mean? And maybe a bigger question, can we, could we ever be called of the same title? Could God ever say of us, this was a man, this is a man after my own heart? And if he could say that of us, what would that look like on our part? What would that require on our part? And that's what we're going to look at the next five weeks, again, six weeks total. Let me, let me say this. 46 years old, I'm 46, seeing God, and I want to tell you maybe more than any time in my life, I, I see how marvelous God is. I see how powerful, how mighty our God is. He created everything, and I, I fully believe that. He sustains everything. Anything that exists, exists because he sustains it in his hand. You woke up today, I woke up today because God ordained it. He sustains everything. He is powerful. Seeing that God, seeing who he is, but more than that, seeing his grace and his forgiveness, seeing his love and, and the act of redemption shown towards sinners through Jesus Christ. Do you understand? That's what Jesus does. He purchases us back. He restores us. He forgives us. And he does it through the cross of Calvary. When I, when I see that, when I understand who God is, I'll just tell you, more than anything, more than anything, when the books are all closed and the accounts are all reconciled and the dust is all settled, I'd like people to say, you know what, this was a man after God's own heart. Did he screw up? Yes. Did he make some huge mistakes? Yes. But you know what, when the book was all settled and shut, this was a man after God's own heart. Well, this six weeks... It's going to be a big journey. There's a lot for us to see, a lot for us to, 
to think about, a lot of verses to look at, a lot to understand. But we really start off the journey, we start off the trip by seeing the context. And I think you really, you won't understand what God is saying until you understand the context that he says it in, the context of what's happening. Now, Now listen to this, God has his people, Israel, the Hebrew nation. God has his people and and, and God's people are to be known as different. The Bible says they're to be holy, they're to be set aside, and they're not to look like the rest of the world. So here, these are God's people, this is God's nation. These Hebrews, this, this Jewish nation, they're not to look like the rest of the world. People are to say, you know what, these folks, they're not like us. They're, they're set aside, they're different unto a holy God. For his nation, he makes them a promise. And it's a pretty simple promise. He says this, if you will but remember me, and if you will honor me, and you will obey me, I will bless you. And that's really, it's a pretty deep covenant he makes with them, but it it really boils down to that. I'm the Lord your God. I've created you. You're my people. And if if you will honor me and you will obey me, very simply, I will bless you and you will be my people. One of the ways that they are to be different from the rest of the world, from the rest of the kingdoms in the world, one of the ways they're to be different is he himself, God, is to be their king. Now the rest of the nations around them, the rest of the world around them, the rest of those kingdoms, they had kings. But you know what? God's God's nation, his people, they're to be holy. They're to be set aside. They're to be different. And one of the ways they're going to be different is they're not going to have a king. God is going to be their king. Now think about what that means for just a second. God is their king. And he, he intends and desires to be their king. Well, what does that mean? He's the king of his people. He's going to rule them. He's going to lead them. He's going to protect them. He's going to fight them. All all these other kings and their kingdoms, that's exactly what God's supposed to do for his people. He desires to be their king. And you know what? If there's going to be a course that's going to be set, the king's going to set it. Except it's going to be God. If there's somebody that's going to fight for them and lead them into battle, there's a course to be set, but God's going to set it. He is their king. Not some man and not some descendant of men. I I look at England and you see the king and the prince and all the garbage and and them and this and all that stuff. Not some messed up person. God himself will be their king. Now, how unimaginable is that? How awesome is that? How would you like to be able to be say to say, our nation is led by God and he is our king? Can you imagine? That's what they could have said. You know what? We are the nation of Israel. We're God's people. And they could wake up in the morning and say, you know what? There's five nations and they're standing at the border and they're intending to come here and harm us. Bring it on. God is our king. That's what they could have said. You know what? Our economy doesn't seem to be going right. I don't know what we're going to do. You know what? We're not going to worry. God is our king. We got some problems in the nation. We got some problems in the kingdom. You know what, I'm not going to get too concerned about it because we're going to operate according to the leadership of the all-wise king. God is our king. Can you imagine that? How awesome is that? But the people start to look around and they start to see the kingdoms around them. They start to see the nations around them. 
And oh, look at that king. Oh, look at the robe that he wears. Look at the chariot that he rides in. There's 10 chariots in front of him, horses in front of them. Oh, look at their king when he comes to town. Oh, did you hear about their king's palace? And the gates to the palace and the guards at the palace and they start to be in awe of the palace. What about the flags and the trumpets and all the, the pageantry that goes with their king? And, and these people with God as their king start to say, you know what, we'd like to have a king like that. We'd like to have a king that, that we can celebrate his position. We could, we could look to his personhood and we could, we could celebrate, oh, look at our king. Well, when you read the account, God hears their plea and he honors their request, and God says, I'll give you a king. How stupid. How utterly stupid. You can be led by God, or you can be led by a man. You can be directed by God, or you can take the direction of a man, and they choose man. They say, God, give us a king. Now think about this. God, you give us a king, and we'll follow him and we'll hope that he follows you. And that's, that's really the system they want. Give us a king and we'll submit to the king. We'll honor and praise the king and we'll hope he follows you. You read the book of First and Second Kings, you read the book of First and Second Chronicles, that's really what happens. One king follows, two kings don't. One king follows, one king doesn't. One king's in, one king's out. And that becomes the rest of their nation's history. One king leads us this way. One lead king leads us to destruction. Here's a question today. Who is your king? See, it's the same thing today. You can follow God. You can be under the directing of God. Or you can follow man and be under the directing of man. It is the same choice today. Here's the problem. We're just as stupid. We're just as dumb. Let me say this, and, and I, if it hurts your feelings, I do it. I'm not going to apologize for it. I love our nation. I love our nation. We're blessed to live in America. Praise God we live in the United States of America. What a blessing that is. But let me just go ahead and say this. Clinton... Bush, Obama, Trump aren't going to lead us anywhere that matters, aren't going to lead us anywhere that lasts. Let me tell you, our desire should be to follow our king. We still have a king, and his name is Jesus Christ, and the Bible says he is the king of all the kings and the Lord of all the lords. That's the king we're going to follow. Well, God hears and he answers. And so the prophet Samuel comes and they appoint and they anoint Saul as the king, the first king of the, of the Hebrew people, the first king of Israel. The Bible says he is a popular king. The Bible says, in fact, he was a good-looking man. He was tall. He was strong. I guess you don't want a fat, dumpy king if you're going to pick a king. They got this good-looking king, and he's, he's known as the people's king. We have a great king. Look how tall and strong he is. And he leads them into battle, and they celebrate their king. How stupid. They could have had God as their king. Problem is with King Saul, he doesn't lead as God directs. He is self-directed. You read the story. He is led by himself. He's self-directed. 
And it shows up, and the Bible says he is disobedient to the living God. 1 Samuel chapter 13, verse 13. Here's where we go. And Samuel, that's the prophet, said to Saul, You have acted foolishly. You have not kept the commandment of the Lord your God, which he commanded you. But now the Lord would have established your kingdom forever. Verse 14. But now your kingdom shall not endure. The Lord has sought out for himself a man after his own heart. And the Lord has appointed him as ruler over his people because you've not kept what the Lord commanded you. Now what you see here, we're going to move on pretty quickly, but we see here Saul sets aside the word of God. Saul disregards the word of God. Now I'm going to tell you worse than that, Saul disobeys the word of God. You see, he had it. He heard the word of God. God said, this is what you do and this is how you do it. And he disobeys the word of God. The Bible says here, he acts foolishly. It translates, he acts stupidly. He acts like a fool. He acts a fool. Think about that for just a second. When God speaks, we ought to obey. When he directs, we ought to follow, we ought to obey. And if you do not do that, I'm going to tell you this, you're going to act a fool. You're going to make stupid choices. I wonder how many times, and and man, we could probably talk for four days in here. How many times in your life you ever get to the point that you go, how did I ever get here? Man, I have screwed everything up. I have messed everything up. And this sin has eaten my lunch and, and all these things have gone wrong and I live in a mess and I live in a problem. How did I ever get here? I want to tell you this. It's as simple as this. You didn't live according to the word of God. He tells us this is the best way to be a husband. This is the best way to be a dad. This is the best way to be a man in your business. This is the best way to speak. This is the best way to live. He tells us that. But you know what? We're so dumb. We don't want to listen to what he says. And we disregard the word of God. We act a fool. And there's a consequence for disobedience. Now, here's what it is for Saul. How sad is this? It says, the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. Got to be a sad thing to hear. The man of God, Samuel, comes and says, the Lord would have established your kingdom. It would have endured. It would have lasted. But now your kingdom shall not endure. You lost it. God took it away from him. He's going to give it to a man that's after his own heart. Listen to the rest of verse 14 again. The Lord has sought out for himself a man after his own heart. And the Lord has appointed him as ruler over his people because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. Now we're going to begin next week and we're going to start to look at the man that God found. He looked for a man after his heart. We're going to see how he found him. We're going to see where he found him. But I want to stop right here. We're just about done. I want to stop right here and I want to settle this today. Here's the point we walk out of here with today. A wicked age... A sin-ridden world, a disobedient day, listen to me, calls for a godly man. Do you hear that? Listen to me today. A wicked age, an age where they mock the name of God. I'm talking about 2017 now. An age where they mock the name of God, a God where they disregard the word of God. That's useless. That's irrelevant. That's for some other age. An age where they call right wrong and where they call wrong right. An age where they openly reject and they mock the name of our Savior Jesus Christ. That wicked, messed up age 
calls for godly men to stand up and to rise up and to be men after God's own heart. We need to see a movement of God in the hearts of men. And I just want to tell you this. Be sure. Hear me today as we start this study. Friends, if you want to see your life change, and if you want to see our homes change, and you want to see our wives, and you want to see a change in our kids, and, and you want to see a change in our families, and, and more than that, you want to see a change in your churches. We go around and talk about, all oh, the churches are this, and, and nobody's coming to the churches, and decisions are down the churches. If you want to see a change in your church, if you want to see a change in your town, oh, look at our town. Look how messed up our town is today. If you want to see a change in your town, if you want to see God move in your world, why does he move like that anymore? If you want to see God move in your life, in your home, I want to tell you this, it's going to begin when there are men who take on and have the heart of God and they stand up for the cause of Jesus Christ. We need a movement of God in the hearts of men. Let me tell you this, you probably already know. You may call me strange and you may say I've lost my mind and I'm pretty sure I have. But I want to tell you this today. All I care about anymore, there's a lot of stuff I used to care about, but all I care about anymore is this. God, you let me do something that matters. God, you, you let me live for your honor. And when they see the messed up life that I've lived, but they see the change in Jesus Christ, as they see somebody that wants to point to the hope we have in Jesus Christ, let it glorify my God. Let them say, I know there's a God in Israel and I know he's alive. Let us see the power of that God. And when the books are all settled, let it be said, he was a man after your own heart, dear God. This week I watched, my sons and I, we watched Beltray hit his 3,000th hit. That's an awesome thing. I don't know if I can get one hit off a major league pitcher. Pretty sure I can't. What an awesome thing. What an achievement it is. That, what a big deal that is. Oh, 3,000 hits. Did you see every phone was, was looking at him. Everybody's clicking pictures. Everybody's on their feet. 25 news stations. He got his 3,000th hit. Let me tell you, that's an awesome thing. But wouldn't you rather be a man who leads a godly home? Wouldn't you rather be a man that leads a godly wife who leads people to Jesus Christ? Wouldn't you like for it to be said? And I'm going to tell you it can be true. He led 3,000 people to Jesus Christ. He did something that mattered. Wouldn't you like to be that kind of man? And in a wicked age, God's calling for godly men. We need a change of hearts in our men today. We need God to move in our hearts today. And how awesome could be said, they may have come for some brisket or a carne asada, but they heard the truth of God's word. And in their generation, there were people who had the heart of the living God. Let's pray. I'm going to ask if you'll stand, please. Glad you're here. Let's pray. Dear Father, we come. I'm thankful for you. I'm thankful for who you are. I'm thankful that you forgive us. We've messed up. We're as bad or worse than David. All of us. Each of us. And yet you call for people who've been forgiven. And we're only forgiven through the blood of Jesus Christ. 
You, you call for people so astounded by a tremendous salvation and more than that, an amazing Savior that we would say, you know what? I don't want to work a job. I don't want to just pay bills. I don't want to just get by. I want to do something that matters. I want the living God to say, yes, he was a mess. But you know what? When he believed it, he believed it. His heart looked like mine. Help us to leave here with that understanding. Help us to leave here with that priority. Help us to point glory to you. We love you and we praise you. And I pray in Jesus' name, amen.